Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the forecast about IVF, infertility, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby, and we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. I, you know, I've just previously discussed is a lucky number for me because I was born on fr- Friday the 13th. Yeah, and... And it was a very lucky episode for me. It was a very lucky episode for you. So it's all kind of worked out swimmingly. Mate, how many messages have you had after that? Oh man, so many. Like, everyone has been amazing. Like, I, I just so many messages. Thank you so much, guys. Like, it really, um, you know... It's just what well, made me cry at some points. Um, and... Yeah, it just, it's so lovely. So thank you everyone that got in touch. I think we probably have the best listeners in the whole world. I think we do. And um, we got a message from one of our guests, our yeah, we've got guests. evidence that we've got the best listeners yeah. in the world. Yeah, so one of the guests that we've had on um, has been on a lot of podcasts and she said she got more love for doing BFN than for any other podcast she's been on. Yeah. Um, our listeners were the nicest. Our listeners are the nicest and I, I mean... I tend to agree. I tend to agree, yeah. absolutely. There so, thanks guys for being the greatest. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you for, um, for being so nice to me. Like, it's hard. It's hard. I, I, like, I, I hate the fact that I was, like, another fucking pregnancy announcement for people. Like, yeah. I hate it. Because it's just my least favourite thing. And everyone was just so lovely. And, like, I was just blown away, to be honest. There were some people who said they forced themselves to listen to that episode. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone should force themselves, but no. but that was nice. Yeah. But no, mean, one, no one forced yourselves. No, no, gosh, no, God. No. You know, and if you don't want to listen to us talking for the first half of this podcast, don't listen to that either. Yeah, because that is, that is the, unfortunately, we're going to talk about pregnancy. So we haven't put up our usual pregnancy clacks on... Klaxon? Klaxon. Klaxon. The Klaxon. <laughs> Warning, because that that whole segment, but we'll we'll put a time code in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so you can just skip. Yes. Skippity skip. Um, and we won't be offended by this. And also, it's not like listening to us talking about pregnancy and listening to Gabby's episode, it's not like an achievement. It's not like I'm running five kilometres. No. You, you don't, don't have to do it. You no one's judging you. No. It's not going to, like, improve you as a human. Might make you laugh in parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so, okay, so today's episode is worth listening to. It is worth listening only to. only for our other guests. Yeah. Don't want to listen to us. Don't, we're boring anyway. Yeah. Um, so, guest number one. Alpesh Doshi. And this is an interview done just by Gabby. Yes, so I spoke to Alpesh, who is a consultant embryologist and founder of IVF London. Uh-huh. And um, basically, we wanted to have an embryologist on for ages. Yeah. We finally got around to organising it. And I spoke to him very conveniently the day after my transfer. Oh, Gabby. Yeah. So there's a few questions in there that I threw in, definitely, because I was just really <laughs> curious. Um <laughs> So the day after a transfer, what's the embryo doing? <laughs> <laughs> Will I be able to feel it? Can I feel it now? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and he's really lovely. So it was a really great chat. Cool. Yes. And IVF, what the F? Yeah, with Prof Tim. Prof Tim. Prof Tim Child, Medical Director of Oxford Fertility. Indeed. I said it. I don't think I've ever oh. said that before. Well done. But I said it so fluently. You did. It was beautiful. Thank you. What's he talking about, Emma? Um, he's talking about, can you bring on a period? Oh, yeah. Which is an interesting discussion. It is, because it's really fucking annoying when they don't come and you want them to come. Yeah, it is. Uh, I know that, sister. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's it, really. Yeah. Um, you still got time to vote for us in the Listener's Choice Award of the British Podcast Awards. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Um, I think it's British Podcast British Podcastawards.com slash vote. Yes, that sounds right. Yeah, or yeah. .co.uk. That sounds Just good. Google yeah. it. Google yeah. it. British Podcast Awards, Listener's Choice. Um, and you, if you don't do, actually do that, but also rate and review us yeah. wherever you get your podcasts, especially Please. Apple Podcasts. Please, thank you. And also contact us because we love hearing from you. Yeah. Um, you can contact us via email. You can, bigfatnegativepodcast at gmail.com. Or via Instagram. At bigfatnegative. Or via Twitter, which I've been doing well with recently. You've been doing so well at Twitter. Yeah. I'm, I mean, hats off. Yeah. Um, at bigfatnegative. Or via Facebook. Bigfatnegative. Or, is that it? I think that's it. You could send a carrier pigeon. <laughs> send a carrier pigeon. To Notting Hill. <laughs> to Notting Hill. <laughs> Nora will probably get it. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> don't don't send a carrier pigeon. Um, and also, you, you can if you want to follow our um, personal accounts on Instagram. Oh yeah, it's at BFN Emma and at BFN Gabby. Yeah, just a little shout out for those babies. Oh yeah, uh, that's it, right? Yes, that's it. Cool. Please, Please enjoy the podcast. Please enjoy the podcast. Emma, how are you doing? All right, thanks. Good. I am 24 weeks today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Congrats. That means I am, um, if the baby is born today, yeah. which I hope it won't be. No, let's hope not. Um, it has a 50% chance of survival. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? Um, I just hope it won't be born today. No, I mean, we don't want to test it. No. Absolutely not. Just, I, uh, if the baby's listening, um, no, no thanks on that Stay. One. Stay there. Um, I had to run through Bank Station today. Um, if anybody's tried to get from the District Line platform to the Central Line platform, actually the other way around, off Bank Station, you will know it's a voyage. A voyage. Yes, it's a long journey and I had to run because I was late for the doctors, more on which later. And I thought I bought on labour. Oh, crap. Like I started, I was getting twinges. Like, it was... I was convinced. Oh dear. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, 
So, and that is why I haven't exercised during this pregnancy. Not oh, once. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I was running through the station because I was off to see the doctor. Because... Why were you off to see the doctor, Emma? Because... Um, it was just because of, you know, it's what I've previously mentioned, which is just acid reflux. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's it's got to a point where, like, I wake up in the morning, stand up, and get it. Wow. So I went, I was like, I'm going to go and see a doctor, you know, um, just check that it's normal, check that it's okay, that I'm, like, taking Gavascon every night, because obviously, like, this is an IVF pregnancy, and I don't want to take any drugs. No. Because drugs are bad. Apart from the fact that drugs are what made it. Yeah, I mean, apart from that. Um... I've stopped taking paracetamol because I read something in the newspaper about it. Oh. Probably the Daily Mail. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. So, yeah, I just wanted to check. And so I went in and the doctor, I want to say, was 13 and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, so I'm taking Gavascon every night and I just wanted to check that was okay. And she just turned her computer and wrote in Gavascon pregnancy into Google. And I was like... I was like, I can consult Dr. Google yeah, at home, I mate. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and she was like, well, I mean, have you been on Mum's Net? And I was like... Oh, God. I was like, I don't know what to say to you. A doctor than... can't tell you, can't prescribe Mum's Net. Exactly. <laughs> kidding me? And then she was like, well, you know, peppermint tea. And I was like... Wow. Like... And then at one point she she said, like, you know, during pregnancy, um, it's probably best to turn to, like, homeopathic and and herbal medicines. And I was like, homeopathic? Are you joking? I didn't say that, obviously. Of course I went, oh, thank you, doctor. Yeah, that's great. But in my head I was like, homeopathy? Where they, like, isn't that where they dissolve a tiny, tiny thing in some water? I know nothing I of think homeopathy. it is. I think it's one of those ones that's really has absolutely no peer-reviewed studies suggesting it's okay, right? Or useful anyway. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Angry about the uh, homeopathy. Yeah, I know, mate. Me too. Anyway, I just yeah, I came away. I came away feeling a bit silly, like I was being silly. Mm. And I know I've got a midwife appointment next week, so I'll go and see the midwife, and hopefully there'll be a little bit more understanding. Yes, and probably have some more useful yeah advice. But I ended up kind of explaining myself and being like, well, it can, you know, it's an IVF pregnancy, so I'm just so anxious. No. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'm actually my anxiety levels are lower right now than they have been throughout the whole pregnancy. Mm. Like, I just, I've just felt like a silly sausage. That's not fair. Yeah. Because you're not a silly sausage. Thanks. Anyway, and the other thing is, the other thing that happened to me this week was, um, I had an existential crisis about motherhood. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which I haven't had before. Okay. Which I've, like, in a way, felt good. Because, um, all my crises have been about pregnancy. Yeah. And, like, what's happening now. Mm. And I haven't really thought about the future. No. I haven't thought about motherhood. Like, motherhood. I'm going to be a mother. That's weird. Haven't thought about that. I've just thought about pregnancy. I've just thought about what's happening now. Am I getting pain now? Mm. Am I bleeding now? Yeah. And I woke up at, like, three o'clock in the morning on Saturday night. Or Sunday morning. um, Worrying about autism. And that is because... There is a lot of autism in my family. So I've been raised with some very, very, very autistic individuals. And I'm talking like need 24-hour care, can't cook for themselves, can't really look after themselves. Um, 
people who you know who don't have very good language and people with Asperger's as well but um there's a lot of autism in my family and I just woke up in the in the middle of the night and was like oh my god what if this kid is autistic why did John and I think we can do this um anyone who's listening to this and and saying you know autism's a gift yeah it is it's you know I, I love my brother love him but raising somebody with that level of disability is really difficult and we mm. had a few people who emailed in after I talked about down syndrome um but you know it's not easy it's not an easy path mm. and like in my head I was just going I just had a crisis oh, just had a total crisis I'm so sorry no it's okay I woke up the next morning and I was fine well that's the thing about 3am crises right yeah it's fine in the morning, yeah. but it's like the worst thing in the world at 3am. Yeah, at 3am, everything is magnified. Yeah. But, um, but I, I, it just made me think that I haven't thought about the future. Mm. I haven't thought about having a baby. I've still thought about pregnancy. Mm. And I think it's just, there's like a thing in me that thinks that if I think any further ahead than like next week, it's basically jinxing it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. that's me screwed so I just can't think any further ahead so yeah my autism crisis okay well yeah, it was um, probably quite I mean it's you know I don't I don't know what to say I think it's um <laughs> it's not it's not an easy topic to no, talk about no but but in terms of like letting yourself think about the future yeah that's that is also a hard one because you know you probably should think about some things now yeah, but then I totally you've understand. got to be practical. Yeah, and you know it's funny because things like um, well, John has looked into prams, and um, and we've talked a lot about prams, and that's really only the only thing we've talked about. <laughs> but I've got so many friends who've got kids who are like, we've got loads of stuff for you. Like, do you want this? Do you want that? And I'm yeah. like, yes. Um, can you give it to me when I'm 39 weeks, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. And it's at this rate, somebody was emailing me, uh, messaging me the other day and was like, so when are you going to start buying stuff? And I was like, literally like maybe on the way back from the hospital. Like, I think I ask you that because I'm personally desperate to start buying stuff. Yeah, but I just, I can't. It's funny because we we keep having opportunities to, like we keep having a, week, a weekend free where we could go mm. and look at stuff, but I just can't bring myself to when we went to Paris I was like on the way there I was like I want to come back with a gift for the baby like something nice and we went into a shop and bought a load of stuff for like two of my friends have newborns so we bought a load of stuff for them but didn't buy anything for our baby and I just I just couldn't bring myself to wow yeah it's bizarre I just can't do it so it's it's gonna be a kid that's not well provided for (laughs) um well I'm I mean I'm happy to buy some stuff thanks because you know it fulfill my it may burning desire to buy things on on google about go crazy bloody babies speaking of which mate uh, how are you doing you yeah. all right um yeah i'm good i'm good yeah. still pregnant um apparently mm-hmm. M- maybe hopefully hopefully um yeah so it's been it's been quite a funny week easter weekend i woke up on no it was friday it was, it was good friday and i was going to bed and I was doing my last pessary of the day. Yeah. Always a, a good feeling. one. Always a good one. <laughs> Finish that pack of three. Nighttime Fantastic. Um, and uh, inserted it as, as usual and uh, like pulled out my um, insertion tool. 
I want to see this, by the way. I don't oh, know sure. what one looks I've probably like. got one in my bag. Yeah. Um, and they are white. So it, it, I pulled it out and it had like pink on it. Oh. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, my God, the spotting. Shit. And then um, I kind of wiped and it was like pink on the wipe as well. Oh, and I was like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Um, so but managed to kind of stay calm, went to bed and then woke up like two hours later at 12 and went for a wee and when I wiped it was red oh, mate. and I was like oh my shit this is happening shit so um managed somehow to go back to bed and fall asleep after probably an hour of just kind just of lying just there. just going okay if I'm miscarrying it's it's gonna be okay it's fine you know I was just kind of going through the process mm-hmm. of it um and then uh woke up in the morning and it was fine. It was all gone. And so I was like, okay, I'm supposed to be driving to my dad's. So I called the clinic. It took them ages to call me back because, you know, they had actual things to do. And um, I don't think you should belittle yourself by saying things like that. Because I, if you're spotting, it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Your heart just starts beating so fast. Yeah. And they, but they were. I knew they were in theatre. Yeah. And then I kind of rang again. I was like, "Are they still in theatre? Can can I speak to someone, please?" Because I, well, very um, selfishly, I kind of needed to get on the road and get to my dad's in Bristol. These things always happen at convenient times. Yeah, exactly. I was like, "Oh God." Um, But yeah, so I eventually spoke to someone, and he was just like, "Has it stopped?" And I was like, "Yes." And he was asking me like the pain. Did I feel any pain? Stuff like that. And basically. What I think happened is I scratched myself with my pessary mm. tool, I think. Yeah. Like, because that was when it happened. I think maybe I'm getting a bit cavalier with my insertions. Just wanging it in. <laughs> Just shoving it yeah. in. <laughs> uh, that, that is such a scary thing, though. Just that. Like, it <clears throat> made, well, you texted me to say you joined the swatting club and my heart was in my mouth yeah. for you. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was pretty, yeah, it's pretty shit. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky it didn't continue. It stopped, you know, it was only really twice, you know, in the evening and then in the morning it was fine. So, you know, I got, I kind of got away with it and, um, yeah, but it is, it is terrifying. All those things you think in your head, you're like, oh, I, I was too confident about this. I, you know, I shouldn't have told anyone all of this crap that you're like. Yeah. You feel, you feel like a silly sausage. Yeah, I feel like a silly sausage. A really silly sausage. Um, we went to my dad's for Easter mm-hmm. for one night. And <clears throat> obviously we are still injecting progesterone in the evenings. Yeah. So uh, me and Mr. Gabby took ourselves off um, to do the injection. And um, I don't know what we did, but... I think basically maybe because I'm running out of safe spots to do on my tummy, it's just all sore now. All of it is sore. Oh, mate. I think I maybe grabbed a bit that was a bit too lean. Ooh. And um, and when the needle went in, I must I flinched because it was really painful. And Mr. Gabby, I think, probably tried to get it over quite quickly and pushed the needle in uh. a bit too quickly. And basically the syringe backfired went flying across the room, completely splattered him with progesterone (laughs) all over his glasses. (laughs) And then I just looked down and there was still like a needle stuck in my belly. Oh, mate! Oh, God. 
This is the worst. Injection disaster. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was like your first injection and that oh happened? God. Like, it's fine for me now. I'm fucking seasoned pro, but like, <laughs> Jesus, it was just so dramatic and horrendous. Oh my, oh God. my God. Yeah, and then <coughs> Mr. Gabby was like, manically googling if progesterone could do him any damage because it was like all over his face oh. um so that was fun cool yeah that was good um then so earlier this week i um i started feeling like twin like a twinge on my kind of left side mm-hmm. shall we say um and i, I kind of noticed it and i was like oh you know whatever lots of lots of fucking weird twinges and pains that happen that I'm just like, I guess that's normal. I'm just going to go with it. Um, but this was quite persistent and yeah. like it went, it was kind of going on for like two days on and off, I suppose, but it was always in the same place. Yeah. And um, yeah. And uh, it's it just, my brain started Instant screaming. Google. Ectopic. 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 Yeah. It's ectopic. And so I did a similar thing to you at 3am and like was like, could feel it and was yeah. just like, oh my God, this is what's happened. What the fuck? Um, and so in the morning I was like, I'm going to the clinic. I'm like calling them. I'm going to, you know, I briefed my husband. I was like, right, I'm going to call the clinic. They're probably going to get me to come in for a scan. You're going to have to come with me because we might get bad news and I can't be on my own. And he was like, okay, 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 okay. Um, and then, um, yeah, I kind of climbed down from that a little bit after uh, I, had to, I had to do like a conference call. And after I'd finished that, I was kind of like, okay, maybe I'm just being a bit mad. But I called them anyway. And um, and basically the nurse was like, it's fine. She was like, take some paracetamol if, you know, if it's causing you pain. And, you know, it's probably just the embryo. That's the side it's on. You know, it's just embedding or whatever it's doing. And she said it's perfectly normal to feel things like that at this point. Did you feel like a silly sausage? I, I mean, I did, but I was also just, you know. The thing is, it's relieved. better to be safe than sorry, I oh, think, with these totally. things, especially if you think it's ectopic. Well, she was like, if it gets, if the pain gets shut, because it wasn't a sharp pain at all, it yeah. was just like a, I could notice it, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, a twinge. Yeah. So I was like, and she's like, take paracetamol. I was like, I'm not in pain. Like, I don't need paracetamol. I just needed to know that it wasn't yeah. in my fallopian tube. Yeah. Obviously, we don't know that. Yeah, but of course. But it did reassure me. Shoulder pain with ectopic pregnancies, I think. Yeah, and then you said that to me, and then I felt a shoulder pain. <laughs> so don't don't say things like that to me. <laughs> it makes your fingernails itch. No, <laughs> that up. Um... So yeah, I guess that's that's the latest with me. So I have a scan. My seven-week scan is in less than a week now. Yeah, so actually by the time this episode is out, it'll be tomorrow. Yes, when this comes out, I'll be doing it tomorrow. Um, and I will be crapping my pants. So what's been worse, the two-week wait or the three-week wait? Oh, I mean, I'm going to say the two-week wait. Yeah. Just because it's the the level of scrutiny and and the kind of yo-yoing moods are, um, I would say a little bit worse mm-hmm. but the three week wait has not been much fun no it's not much fun it's been it? better since um I've started getting quite strong symptoms I think what symptoms have you had so I've been really feeling very sick okay um and I've never been so happy to feel sick <laughs> it's so funny because I, I was messaging you earlier being like you should be happy about this <laughs> your yeah. messages back were like yeah yeah um, well, I was really happy at the beginning, 
And yeah. um, and I'm still I'm still happy. It's still great news. But this morning I was on the tube and I kind of had a funny turn and I I thought I was either going to vomit or faint. And it like I had four stops to go on the packed Jubilee train, oh. and um, I like got off the other side and was like, Whoa. and then like started having a panic attack, oh, just involuntary, just like my throat started closing up, and I was like, I'm having a panic attack because I was scared of fainting or vomiting on the tube. <laughs> now you're off the tube, <laughs> off the tube now. I'm fine. I'm safe. Oh, but like, just God. got myself some water and sat on the train, and yeah, I think um, I need to maybe start eating things before I leave the house snacks have snacks with you all the time because I my usual morning routine is to just get ready leave the house without consuming anything I'm impressed that you haven't got the incredible hunger oh I'm um, I mean I'm pretty hungry I I just have snacks with me all the time yeah I mean I wake up starving <laughs> uh, but I yeah. just it's not convenient because I'm not I'm not used to having breakfast in my house I don't have breakfast things in the house so I just automatically just get ready go to work have breakfast there but not anymore <laughs> it made me laugh when we did our um our pregnancy special pregnancy after IVF special um just before we started recording Roma just like tucked into a like a naked bar or something yes. like something like that yeah, yeah. and I just remember being like mm-hmm, pregnant definitely pregnant <laughs> because it was it was such a thing that I've been doing which is well you know we'll be walking around town and I'll just be like I've, I need a snack now and I just will eat whatever's in my bag which at the moment is like three mushed up naked bars <laughs> and like a mushed up track of everything's already mushed up because it's yeah. been in the bottom of my bag yeah for emergency ages. stores yeah yeah i mean i'm a fan of all of those things mm. so i'm happy to start carrying them around um but yeah i mean as i say i'm fucking so lucky to be getting pregnancy symptoms i'm so lucky to be in this position where i'm feeling sick on the tube so i'm incredibly grateful for it yeah, of course. Um, it's just, uh, it's of note, I suppose. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, we talk about this every week. And, and I've been doing this now for, for several months. And you'll talk about the symptoms that you're going through. And then we're like, but we're really lucky to be having this. Yeah. Whereas if if you talk to like a normal pregnant woman who hasn't been through what we've been through, they're yeah. like, oh, it's really awful. But, you know, <laughs> you're just sitting at your desk being like, what? Oh, this is so great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy. Um, Yeah, it's true. It's true. Like, you know, you know, if we were normal pregnant people, we could just be like, oh, God, it's so horrible being sick all the time. But yeah, I am just like, there is that very loud voice in the back of my head being like, you're so lucky. Yeah. You know, every time somebody goes like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm like, oh, you know, pregnancy has been really great. I'm, I'm so lucky. Every time. And I don't, you know, I've, yeah, I've got acid reflux and it's not very nice and it starts at seven in the morning and, well, finishes when I go to sleep. Mm. But I, I don't, I mind it. Of course I mind it. It's very uncomfortable. But there's just this constant, as you say, voice being like, but other people won't get this. Mm. Yeah. Or haven't got this or yeah. have had it worse. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a dichotomy. So, yeah. Um... So yeah, I'm I'm just hoping that obviously tomorrow's scan um goes well. Oh my god. It's very scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's very scary. But hey. It is scary. Wish me luck, guys. Good luck, mate. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. 
Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. So, um, you obviously are the founder of IVF London, which is a clinic, but you are also an embryologist. That's correct. So, um, so we'd just like you to talk about that a little bit. So what, starting at the beginning, what made you want to be an embryologist? So, um... Around uh, 23, 24 years ago, when I finished my first degree, which was biomedical sciences, I understood that that was not something that I really wanted to pursue a career in, in in a hospital laboratory, testing blood and um, other pathological samples or biological samples. Mm. So at that point, I came to a point that, okay, I need to do a postgraduate degree, which was more patient fronted. And uh, embryology was very much a new thing at the time. Uh, Very few institutions were uh, offering that. And uh, that's when I researched into the subject a bit. And clinical embryology was absolutely fascinating. Spent three or four days in Hammersmith Hospital at that time and loved the role of the embryologist and said, this is where I want to belong. Amazing. Brilliant. And um, can you just explain a little bit? So what does an embryologist do? We know that they play a part in creating embryos, but do they do everything from like the ICSI to the kind of growing to the popping them in? Sure. So an IVF cycle involves two fundamental roles um, in terms of from a patient's perspective. And of course, they always see the clinician or their gynecologist who would be their kind of, um, you know, patient-fronted approach from consultation onwards. However, a lot of effort in an IVF cycle goes in from an embryologist. Now, to recap the whole cycle, what happens, a patient first has a consultation, a treatment plan is built up based on the route of infertility, the patients are advised to have IVF, Um, the drug plan would be set up, the aim would be to stimulate the ovaries of the patient, They would be having regular scans and then they would proceed to what we call the egg collection. Now, this is where the embryologist steps in, essentially, whereby they're present in theatre. 
the gynecologist is aspirating each and every follicle that is there on the ultrasound. The embryologist very carefully looks through the follicular fluid, identifies the eggs, collects the eggs, and then the journey of the embryology starts in the laboratory, whereby on the same morning, a sperm sample is collected from the male partner, and in the afternoon, the eggs are fertilized either by conventional IVF or ICSI, and from then on, it's a day-by-day -day assessment for around five to six days of processes which probably patients don't know about, but is, is very intricate to the outcome of the IVF cycle, whereby it starts with fertilization check the following day after egg collection, and then a day-by-day -day monitoring of how the embryos are developing, how many cells the embryos have got, what is the quality of the embryos, and the embryologist keeps track of how these um, embryos are developing at, that, at, at this very early stage in development and keeps a note and track of, of their potential and then makes a selection of which embryos are the most suitable for transferring and for freezing. So essentially, the role of the embryologist is very vital in the whole cycle, clearly because um, you know, it, it, it is the embryos that have a huge impact in determining the outcome of an IVF cycle. And the lab can make it or break it, in my opinion, and so can the embryologist. Mm -hmm. And hence, having a good embryologist that knows what they're doing in terms of, you know, the, the very kind of fine-tuned processes in the laboratory is extremely crucial, something that patients are not really aware about. And usually patients always choose clinics based on the clinician or the reputation of the clinician. And more is being known about the role of an embryologist now, and hence patients are becoming a bit more savvy in, in, in choosing a clinic based on the laboratory performance and the outcomes. Okay, amazing. Um, and so to kind of get down to basics, what is an embryo? When does it become an embryo? And what are the kind of stages that an embryo goes through? It's a very good question and often one asked by a lot of patients. We often use a beautiful video to explain this to our patients uh, when they come for a consultation. So once the eggs are collected, then they're obviously attempted for fertilization. It must be understood at this point that not every egg that is collected will fertilize successfully. Typically, we expect around 70% of the eggs to fertilize. And after that, it is a daily assessment, as I said, of, of the embryo, whereby, so, so going back to your question about what is an embryo, an embryo is a fertilized egg that starts developing into a ball of cells. We as humans are nothing but millions and millions of cells in our body. So this is literally the inception of life, whereby once the egg has successfully accepted the sperm, it will trigger an alert internally to start dividing into what we call the first stages of life, which is nothing but cells. And this goes from one cell to two cells, two cells to four cells, four to eight, eight to 16, 16 to 32, and then over 100 cells in a matter of five days. And this is when we are trying to determine um, the healthiest embryos based on their division patterns, mm. their level of what we call fragmentation of cle or cleanliness in development. 
and embryos that potentially are the fittest. Because again, as, as I told you initially, there is a kind of a funneling effect from egg collection to embryo transfer. So say hypothetically you collect 10 eggs, mm. then we'd expect seven of those to fertilize. And out of those seven that fertilize, we expect around three or four to develop into what we call blastocysts mm. or embryos that are at the day five stage, which have over 100 cells. So this is a natural phenomenon or all, almost called a funneling effect. And this stems from the fact that biologically humans are very poor animals at reproducing. And there's a lot of things that are wrong with our eggs and sperm rather than right. So nature is very wise in not allowing every embryo to develop further into a live birth. Okay. And hence this kind of self-selection of a journey that happens in the laboratory is where the embryologist comes in, in A, providing the optimum conditions to the embryos to grow, and most importantly, making that very, very fine-tuned and important decision and selection of which embryo is going to be going back into the patient to potentially result in a pregnancy. And um, I've heard, so you talked about blastocyst there. So a blastocyst is day five, and you said that it's got 100 cells as opposed to eight, is it? That's correct. Yes. And so, and what's a is there there's something like a morello or something? That's right. So, what happens during pre-implantation embryonic development is that the first day after egg collection is called the fertilization check. At this point, what we expect to see is literally two dimples sitting in the middle of the egg, which is one, one containing the genetic material from the egg and one contains the genetic material from the sperm. The next stage, which is day two, after 24 hours, the embryo would have divided into two to four cells. Day three, it would be eight, six to eight cells. And day four is when the embryo should be what we call a bowl of cells, where you can't count individual mm -hmm. cells, which is called a morula. Okay. And then the next stage from the morula is an early blastocyst and then a expanded blastocyst. Amazing. Um, so it's not a Morello cherry, as I keep thinking about it in my head. <laughs> well, it kind of looks like it because the whole, the, the, the whole idea is that it's, it's a ball. And it, 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 a Morello looks very much like a, like a raspberry, actually, whereby okay. you, know, all, you, you can't really count the cells, but you can just see the borders of the embryo. Brilliant, brilliant. And, um, and you kind of touched there on how you grade them. Are you able to go into a bit more detail there as to what you're looking sure. for? Absolutely. So... When we grade embryos, there's various grading systems that can be used, which can vary from laboratory to laboratory. Now, the most important thing that embryologists are looking for in embryos that are developing between day two and day three is, as I said, the number of cells, which is one thing. So typically an embryo should be between two and four cells on day two and six to eight on day three. But the other important parameter to grade is the fragmentation, which is how much debris there is within the embryo. So if a cell does not divide in a very clean manner, it just leaves a lot of fragments behind. The higher the fragmentation in an embryo, 
the poorer the quality of that embryo and the la less the chance that that embryo is going to develop into a blastocyst. Having said that, we've always seen the odd embryo, which is not very good in quality, but yet makes it to the blastocyst. So that is grading of the embryo at the earlier stages, which, which is day two and day three. On day four, the embryo really can't be graded, as I said, because the embryo is fusing all its cells to form a, a, a ball of cells. But again, on day five, when the embryo is the blastocyst, we can grade a few more parameters in the embryo, which is not necessarily the fragmentation on the number of cells. But at this stage, the whole grading system changes and the embryologist is looking at two primary parameters in the embryo. One is called the trophectoderm cells, which is the outer layer of the embryo, which makes the placenta. And the other cell type that we grade is called the inner cell mass, which is the cells that give rise to the baby. So at this stage, there is already differentiation in the embryo as to what is going to be forming the baby and what is going to be forming the placenta. And this is the health that the embryologist is trying to kind of assess in order to quantify the quality of the embryo going back. So typically when embryo embryologists select embryos at the blastocyst stage, what they're trying to look for is how many cells are present in the which are the cells that give rise to the placenta. And there's a lot of research and evidence that suggests that the more cells there are in this layer of cells, the better the implantation rate or chances of getting pregnant. And the other important cell lineage, which is the inner cell mass, again, what the embryologist is looking for at this point is roughly how many cells there are in the inner cell mass and how compact does it look? Because the more compact it looks, the better the quality. And of course, the more the cells, the better. I suppose, you know, there's a lot of our listeners um, that are going through the IVF process and obviously me and Emma have been through it as well. Um, can you kind of paint a picture for where these embryos are when they are being looked after in the lab? Are they, and this may sound like a silly silly question, but are they are they in petri dishes the whole time? Are they in, in little freezers? It's a... <laughs> <laughs> kind of interesting to understand what they're doing whilst we're at home kind of fretting about uh, phone calls. Absolutely, absolutely. So the journey of the egg to the embryo is a very interesting one over these five days. So yes, the eggs get collected in, in test tubes, then they get moved into what we call petri dishes into the laboratory. And the eggs are, the eggs and embryos in the laboratory are cultured in specialized culture media, which is providing nutrition to the eggs and the embryos all the time, and they are covered under oil. So there is a mineral or paraffin oil which covers the dish, and under this oil, uh, it, there is culture media that is nourishing the embryo. The oil is there so that there, we prevent any kind of loss of nutrition or evaporation during handling of the embryos. And of course, um, you know, the, the dishes are very well tested to make sure that they're not toxic to the embryos. And hence, every bit of plasticware that is used in the laboratory has to be very, very carefully selected and tested. But yes, you're right, the journey of the egg and embryo in the lab is nothing but in either test tubes or dishes, which are plastic in origin. And obviously, uh, the embryos are always cultured in what we call incubators, which keep the 
temperature, very, very um, physiological at 37 degrees. And these incubators also blow a gas of carbon dioxide. Um, also, there is reduced oxygen in the incubators, providing it a very natural and habitable environment for the embryos to develop. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, and then I suppose the next bit, it, the next home for the embryo is, is kind of being passed through a catheter back into the womb. Yes. What what happens when it pops into the womb? Is it is it kind of is it sticky in there? Is it nice and cozy? Like what does it move around a lot once it's been put in or does it kind of generally stay in the same position? So there's very little known about this because <laughs> ideally there's very little one can do to kind of track the development mm. of the embryo. Yeah. But from the animal models it has seen it has been seen that the uterine secretions are very viscous and of course we are hoping or thinking that there's some dialogue between the embryo and what we call the endometrium which is the lining of the uterus so once the embryo is loaded in a catheter by the embryologist it is passed through the cervix the catheter is passed through the cervix by the gynecologist and the embryo is released in the middle of the uterus um, with the use of ultrasound. And once the embryo is released here, we expect the embryo to be, be free-floating uh, for another day or so, especially if we do the transfer at the blastocyst stage, before the embryo starts any form of process of implantation. It is assumed that the embryo starts implanting on day six or day seven of development. So we transfer the embryos usually on day five with a view that as soon as the embryo is inside the uterus there will be a dialogue happening between the endometrium and the embryo and some form of implantation mechanism would start if the embryo is destined to implant. Mm, mm, okay amazing. And of um, course what we haven't touched on um, is that um, one of the factors uh, which is very important to assess the capacity of the embryo to implant is the genetic competence of the embryo. And you must have heard of treatments like PGS or aneuploidy screening or PGT, pre-implantation yes. genetic testing. And this is where it becomes quite important to know whether that embryo has the competence genetically to implant or not. Yes, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Um, so obviously, PGS um, isn't routine in the UK, really, um, least, not least in the NHS. You know, why, why is that, do you think? And, and do, you, do you believe it is quite important? So in my opinion, PGS is a fascinating technology, which is um, really a, a, a eye-opener when it comes to the potential of embryos um, to develop and implant. And um, as explained that what we're trying to do as embryologists is take these small biopsies from embryos at the blastocyst stage. So typically what would happen in an IVF laboratory is that the embryos are going to be cultured up to day five to the blastocyst stage and then the embryologist will be taking a small biopsy of these embryos and then sending them for genetic analysis. Um, usually the results take about two weeks to get. And mm. as I said, it's usually applied in patients who've had some history of implantation failure, maybe through multiple IVF cycles, 
despite having blastocyst transfers, or they have suffered miscarriages through IVF once embryos have been transferred. So we know that, um, as I said, when I said earlier, that there are more things wrong in our eggs, sperm and embryos than right. This is just nature's way of restricting reproduction to a certain extent. One of the biggest factors that we know is a culprit in embryos not implanting is genetic abnormalities. And what this tool enables us to do is to get an insight into the genetic competence of the embryo. So here the whole tables are turning to a certain extent, whereby up till now the embryologist has been trained to just look at the beauty of the embryo from the outside. Mm. And here we're taking a small sample of the cells of the embryos and seeing, well, is it equally as beautiful from the genetics perspective, whereby there are no abnormalities in the um, in the embryo. So this is basically a kind of an acid test, so to speak, for the embryo, whereby uh, obviously the embryos are frozen, they undergo a biopsy, they will, um, the patients will get the results of their embryos in two weeks. And typically what we see is, or we hope, is that the patient has at least one or two normal embryos, which are completely normal from a genetic perspective, obviously in terms of the chromosomes and not necessarily the single um, gene disorders or anything too complex. Um, but at the same time, what we're looking for is if the embryos are balanced in terms of the chromosomes, then they can be considered for transfer in the hope to optimize the chances of getting pregnancy. And there have been quite a few studies that have shown that with age, obviously, the chance of getting a normal, genetically normal embryo goes down. But if there is a genetically normal embryo in patients, say, potentially over 40 years of age, mm. then the chance of pregnancy and a live birth is the same as a younger patient. So wow. despite the chances of getting a normal embryo go down, but if there is a normal embryo, the chances of pregnancy are very high, typically in excess of 50-55% in patients who potentially may have you know, suffered repeated implantation failure or miscarriage. Mm. So your other question was that, do you, do you not feel that this should be offered in, on the NHS? And uh, of course, any new technology when it starts is going to be much more expensive. And this is the stage we are at at the moment, whereby the technology of PGS or genetic screening or pre-implantation genetic testing is quite expensive. But I believe that it's a matter of time. And of course, it's, it's a matter of uh, local competition as well. The more um, companies that offer genetic technology, the cheaper the technology may become and hence would be offered more um, at large in terms mm. of patient populations. But I certainly believe in it um, and, uh, you know, based on the results I have seen. And this is something that I have, um, you know, a lot of confidence in, which yeah. is the genetic assessment of embryos. And I'm sure that the future is very bright. As embryologists, we're working constantly towards mechanisms which are what we call non-invasive. So at the moment, the, the procedure relies on an invasive um, uh, you know, mechanism of taking cells from the embryo. But there's so much research going on in the background, which is looking at non-invasive methods of assessing 
genetic competence of the embryo. For example, just by looking at what is the embryo secreting into the culture media, what is it taking up from the culture media, what um, energy substrates it's using. There's so much assessment that is going on at the research and development level that I feel that maybe in the next five or ten years we will have the technology whereby <clears throat> all we would be doing is culturing the embryo in the laboratory, sending the, the waste fluid of, this em, um, of, of, uh, of culture media in which the embryo has developed, and then we will get a report as to wow. which embryo holds the potential and which one doesn't from a That's, genetics perspective. Yeah. So I think there is a huge milestone to yet cover, but the technology is absolutely fascinating and we're quite at the, very much at the tip of the iceberg at the moment does sound fascinating um i guess you know we are in kind of frontier science aren't we so it's just constantly constantly developing correct um the, the other one of the other questions i had which is kind of um to do with something they do in the states quite a lot but not here seemingly is, is around the kind of sex of the embryo um do you so when an embryologist in the uk is 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 um, has got all of the information on the em- on the embryo that they're going to implant. Are they aware of the sex of the embryo? And it's just obviously not something that we um, we disclose. No. So the sex of the embryo is not known during the work that happens in the laboratory routinely. So whilst embryos are developing in the laboratory, there is no way for embryologists to know whether the embryos are male or female. It's not that male embryos have look any different to female embryos. Mm. So there is no kind of information that the embryologist would have to make that assessment. The only time when this assessment of gender can be made is through genetic screening. So as I said, when we do the biopsy of the embryo, yes, through this biopsy, the um, the X and Y chromosomes can be identified through the genetic um, through the genetic test. However, the law in the UK restricts um, the you know finding out the sex of the embryo for social reasons. Of course, if there is a disease in the family or genetic um, condition in the family which affects either males or females and there is no other way to isolate that gene for genetic testing then sexing is allowed of the embryos but this is for medical reasons and not Mm. for social reasons so for social reasons embryo selection or embryo selection based on gender is not allowed and is illegal in the UK so uh, even the genetics lab that do our testing of um, chromosomes in embryo biopsy samples do not reveal to us the gender of the embryos. So the embryologist does not have this information. Okay, interesting. Um, And I guess what, this is kind of one of my final questions, but you know, there's so much information out there about how people can improve the quality of their eggs and sperm and therefore their embryos. But from your perspective, is there anything that you think um, patients should do to make sure they get good quality embryos? So this is a million dollar question. And of course, there's still so much research that's going on behind it. And many clinics are using various algorithms to kind of suggest um, or, or or even relay what they believe in quite strongly. So some clinics are very much into this whole mild stimulation approach because there is some concern that when you stimulate women with hormones, that may itself, 
you know, give slight level of, um, you know, uh, uh, abnormal quality or of the egg and the embryo, etc. So again, there's one concern that mild stimulation approaches may be better than kind of harsh stimulation. But again, we all know that in IVF, it's, uh, you know, it's a bit of a double-edged weapon because you want to start off with the numbers in order to get to the funneling, to the bottom of the funneling effect, mm. which is blastocyst. So if you don't start off with good numbers, there's a, there's, there's a chance you may not get to the bottom of the funnel. However, of course, we also know that this is quality related. So it's not a fact that if you get 20 eggs, you have a much higher chance of attaining the best embryos. You may have embryos which are not genetically competent. So we're still at the, you know, we, we're still at that phase whereby we don't know enough how to answer that question. And, and, mm. and really, you know, is there anything we can do? I mean, a lot of patients come to us and say that, you know, what can we do to improve our chances? And of course, you know, it's, it's, it's a very important question from a patient's perspective. But from a clinician's perspective or scientist's perspective, it's very difficult to, you know, without the evidence to kind of make mm -hmm. statements and judgments to say, well, this is what you should do. So yeah. typically, we always advise patients to be on all the preconception medications. Uh, we always advise them to have a very good balanced nutrition, to see a nutritionist if advisable. And most importantly, I'm still a believer and I don't have the evidence for it yet, but I, I believe that the, a stress-free start is very important in an IVF journey. Mm. You and I both know that the journey is intense. It takes a lot out of a couple and a mm. patient, of course. And there is a lot of emotions that are already very high before a couple are presenting themselves to an, uh, to, to an IVF clinic. So I have seen a lot of uh, recent studies, um, you know, in conferences that have been, that, that are amazing in the sense that there has been evidence suggesting that when the stress hormone cortisol is high in women, then the pregnancy rates are quite low. So I believe in one thing quite strongly, and this doesn't answer the question or, or I'm digressing from the question, is uh, is the stress-free start. And this is where our ethos as a clinic comes in because we believe that in order to get a good outcome, we need to have a stress-free patient or a less stressed patient. Mm. And how can we achieve that? So we put a lot of emphasis and focus on that, that we believe that it's to do the basic things right, which is, you know, um, make sure that the patient is, is comfortable with the clinician, with the embryologist, with the nurse, they're continuously being looked after, they feel they have enough emotional support, which is very important, their questions are answered on time, their phone calls are answered the same day. It's everything that actually can build up a lot of stress in a patient going through IVF. Mm. And we never understand the capacity, um, obviously, um, and we should, we, of, of patients um, who are going through the journey and, and we really try to um, and we should try and do so because what is very, very important is that what are the factors that are causing them stress? So if we can address those, that is a very good starting point. Now, Absolutely. going back to um, what can improve the quality of eggs and sperm and embryos, I believe it, it you know, all I can add to that question is, just do everything that is right, which is good nutrition. Make sure that, um, you know, uh, men are taking their supplements, you know, which are high in zinc. 
make sure that the sperm health has, is, is good as well. So, you know, uh, there are tests that can also look at whether the sperm has got high DNA fragmentation or not. So all these tests kind of give us an insight into the health of the sperm and eggs. There's very little known about the egg health per se, but there's more and more coming out about the sperm health and what can be done. Brilliant, brilliant. That all sounds very sensible. Um, as a last question, something that may not sound as sensible, but I think is important because um, both Emma and I have experienced this anxiety on our kind of transfer journeys, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Um, can you just uh, let us know whether or not it is possible to uh, wee out an embryo after you've had a transfer? Because obviously your bladder is full for, for the scan, um, and, and most women need to empty their bladder straight away afterwards. And I know personally, I was I was very daunted um, going to the loo afterwards. <laughs> so the anatomy of women is 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 fascinating in the sense that you know the the uterus is. Imagine that when you are lying, your uterus is or the uterus is supposed to be at at a straight kind of angle. Of course, when the bladder is pressing on it, so it's a very reasonable concern, and we always get asked this question that. If I'm going to go to the loo after my embryo transfer, is my embryo going to fall out? And the answer is no, it's not going to fall out. The uterus is very well protected by the cervix and the cervix obviously retains everything within, you know, within it to a certain extent. So, um, of course, when you're standing or when you're sitting, you know, the uterus is in a very different uh, angle and and the embryo just does not fall out. So the embryo is, is held very securely within the cavity of the uterus. There is nothing that you would potentially do after the embryo transfer that can impact on the embryo kind of withdrawing itself. Of course, if it's not destined to implant or if there is no dialogue between the endometrium and the, uh, and the embryo, that's a di- different thing. And, you know, we're we yet to attain that, that, that uh, eureka moment whereby every embryo that we transfer would potentially implant. But um, there's so much unknown about why embryos don't implant. But certainly, in my opinion, there is very little that one can do to negate the embryo being expelled out of the uterus. So it's, it's a very kind of valid question from a patient's perspective. But we can, all we can do is assure the patients know that that does not happen. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I'm sure you've put a lot of people's mind at ease. Um, uh, brilliant. So thanks, Alpesh. That's fantastic. Most welcome. Thank you so much. And thanks for your time. to bring on a period can you more specifically can you bring on a period for those ladies out there who have erratic periods and i know there's plenty of them me you included um yeah how do you bring it on how do you sort it out um i know that do you remember way back on our first ever episode the first thing we ever asked professor tim i think was about raspberry leaf tea yes and that was one of the ways that some people think you can bring on a period or labour. Anyway, um, the other thing that I've read brings on a period is eating parsley, which is why during my entire pregnancy I haven't eaten any parsley. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Which, but then I read on, on Mum's Net that somebody who was pregnant had, um, her like pregnancy craving had been tabbouleh. 
no. which is like 50% Parsi. And she was like, I, I was fine. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So eat Parsi to your heart. Eat Parsi. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that with periods, like... It's so funny with infertility because you spend half your time desperate for your period not to come. And yeah. Half your time f- desperate for your period to bloody hurry up yeah. and just rock up. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend who's just started like properly trying recently, who's fairly regular. And she was, she was like, my period's four days late and I don't know what to do. And I, and she was like, I've taken a test and it's negative. And she just like, she seemed so like shocked. Yeah. And I just think your body just at some point starts trolling you as soon as you start trying. Totally. Well, mine mine is regular as all hell. And I, like, 10 days late gate, that was bad. Oh, yeah, I remember. And I'd been trying for ages. It must have been so hard for you, says Mrs. 22 days late. Like, <laughs> monk. Yeah, 10 days late was bad, okay, <laughs> for, for someone who doesn't have any late normally. Um, but yeah, fair enough, you win that battle. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate late period <laughs> champion. Um, yeah, so we um, so we thought we'd ask Tim. That's Professor Tim. Professor Tim to you, mate. I know. What was I thinking? I've never even know. met him. Timmy. Timmy. <laughs> Timmy from Oxford. <laughs> what do you got to say about it, Timmy from Oxford? <laughs> and here's what he did have to say. So... Um, first of all, I think if women are having very irregular or infrequent pe- periods, obviously it's important to try and understand why is that happening. Uh, the commonest cause of irregular or absent periods, um, once you've ruled out things like menopause and um, pregnancy, would be polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is very easily tested for. But other causes might be low body weight, excessive high-intensity exercise, etc., but if you're, if you're looking at bringing on a period, then it does depend partly on what the cause is. So if the cause is PCOS, then a period can be quite easily brought on by a sort of five or seven day course of some progesterone tablets. And that might be Provera or Norethisterone or something like that um, on prescription. If the lack of periods is due to a lack of eggs, so that might be premature ovarian failure, that means there's not much oestrogen around in the body, and so the only way to bring on a period would be to actually take some oestrogen and then some progesterone, and the easiest way to do that would be to take a combined oral contraceptive um, pill. And in fact, the same is true if the cause of lack of periods is low body weight, because those women also have low levels of progesterone. Sorry, low levels of oestrogen, as I say. Thanks, Professor Tim. last week no probably not no no um but uh all's left to say is that we love you all absolutely you are the world's best listeners you and are the proven we... world's best listeners <laughs> thank you for this bottom of our hearts um next week we're talking about miscarriage yes fantastic fantastic right yeah uh informative but difficult conversation yeah see you next week see you next week Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.